Welcome to the Above Board Podcast with Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis. Today we're going to be talking about migration, scaling, version 3 update, and a user experience. Whoa, slow down there. You're talking about as fast as our database is going right now. All right, my friend, welcome to is it episode whatever, I don't know, 600. 600. We are recording this on April 5th, 2021. I actually like when people say the, the date that they record an episode uh, in some shows that I listen to. In case. I, don't know if we'll, I don't know if I'll remember to even do that next episode, but... No, I like it too. I actually saw someone talking about blog posts recently, talking about how important the date was. A few people were talking about it. Yeah, because people gave me shit for years because I never put blog, po- I never put dates on any of my blog posts on my personal site. Anti-minimalist. <laughs> you know what we haven't got on our agenda for today is the April Fool's Day prank we did. Oh, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. I mean, it's, so it's funny. On April Fool's, uh, half of my timeline was people talking about how April Fool's is stupid and people should not do April Fool's jokes. And then the other half of my timeline was people doing April Fool's jokes. <laughs> well, yeah, and I have got an opinion on this because uh, people on my timeline post similar things. If a big corporation that has no personality, so imagine you've got a company like maybe maybe Google, maybe Facebook, or you know Walmart perhaps, or just kind of, faceless corporations that aren't very popular in the first place when they do april fool's jokes you know that they've just brought in a pr agency or something and it just feels Volkswagen. yeah it just feels fake and yeah exactly and didn't that go really bad it backfired and it people, did so why did that backfire? i think it might have i think it might have affected the stock even i don't i don't i didn't look into it because i didn't care because i I don't know. But I just saw that on the news, um, it said like uh, Volkswagen, uh, April Fool's joke backfired. (laughs) And yeah, it's it's to your point that doing something like that when you're a big faceless corporation is misses the mark you can't live like that as a company and then suddenly pretend oh hey we're really funny and look we can do jokes because everyone's just it's like you know google are trying to market as being privacy friendly now with their analytics you certainly that's pretty funny (laughs) yeah that that wasn't an (laughs) april fool's believe it or not no but the point is you can't just exist as a faceless faceless corporation and then pretend to be all personal and everything else and i think it was Corey haynes actually tweeted out a poll about um are April Fools good? Is April Fools good for marketing? And my first thought was, it's not about marketing. April no. Fools is about having fun. It shouldn't be looked at as some kind of marketing thing. When we did our thing, it wasn't a question of, you know, how can we get the most, you know, ROI. It basically was how can we make our customers laugh. And, yeah. Uh, the process. And this is how we. This is how we operate internally, either. Like all day, we're trying to take the piss out of each other. And so we just extended it to our audience for one day. Yeah. And whenever I think about marketing, and I know we've spoken about marketing before, but a huge part of what we do is just kind of sharing what works and what doesn't work. And I know that in a, certainly if you're doing something like a business degree or, or you're writing about it, I know that that would be classified as marketing. And I mean, that works good for us because that's just how we are. Um, I don't think you can fake something for marketing purposes i think if you're a brand that's already out there and already talking i think an april fools is good 
But if you're kind of doing shit things in the world and you're suddenly like, oh, hey, we're really funny. Like Facebook, you know, has the data leak recently. I'm sure you've heard about that. Um, yes. You're doing all these shitty things. And you're like, hey, let's let's be funny. Everyone's going to just, they're not. It's no. Yeah, I mean, that's part of our brand. Like we look at our silly cats. Oh, yeah, that's like, true. It's, uh, uh, so an, a thing that people d- don't realize that happened behind the scenes is that because somebody tweeted like, uh, these guys are going to get sued. No, he said, I hope these guys get sued. I hope these guys don't get sued. No, no, he said, I hope these guys get sued by Google. Oh, he said, I hope they get sued. That, well, that's mean-spirited. That's why I said. I said it's good because, you know, the grumps are getting grumpy and, and, some, and our customers, it was, our customers loved it. But the, the behind the scenes thing is that we did actually run it by our legal counsel. Yep, we did. And she retweeted it, which I, I felt like regardless of how the joke landed, because our lawyer retweeted a joke that we ran past her, it was a win. Yeah. And originally the joke was going to be that we were acquired by Google. And the reason I think, I think that's funnier because it's more believable and it's more like a troll. Mm-hmm. That was my stance. However, the joke was more risky. Because it boiled down to could could a an average person believe this to be true, and they easily could, right? We mm-hmm. could be. I mean, obviously, we would we wouldn't be acquired by Google, but an average person reading it in terms of you know Google acquires businesses all the time, so we ran into this position where we couldn't run with that because yes, people could believe it. Whereas if it was Fathom, you know, a tiny company in Canada acquired a multi-trillion-dollar business. It would be all over the world, right? That, this would be huge news. It'd be like, it, it wouldn't just be our Twitter. No, exactly. Sharing this. So yeah. it's obvious that it's not real. But uh, yeah, yeah, it went down good and I'm glad we did it. And people had a laugh. So that's all that matters. Exactly. I think it was the screenshot. Like the screenshot was just ridiculous, oh, yeah, but it, it added to the joke, I think. Yeah. So I didn't see that as marketing. I don't think I didn't. No. There's no UTM, KPI, all this nonsense. and No. Yeah. So migration, something happened mm, yeah. with migration and you were, and you wrote about it. Yeah. Only 6,000 words. Of <laughs> Some people may have read it. Some people may have seen it and gone, I'm not reading all of that. It was a fun, re- it was a fun read for a lot of people and it was a fun, fun thing to write. The long story short is that after, since well, after two years, we've now found our, our dream database solution that is ready to scale with us. Our forever home. Forever home. Probably. The yes. technology is called Single Store. It used to be called MemSQL. And everything is now really, really fast and really flexible. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk quite quickly about the technical side of things of how this migration went. Because I've had a few people saying, you know, can you just mention it on the podcast and talk a little bit about it? You know, sure. Uh, yeah. Um, the way I, you know, the way I look at this is, you need to do the migration before you do the migration. So what, what I mean by that is you need to split it up in a way that 80 to 90% of the migration is complete before you do the remainder. So the way that we do that is um, in, in the previous database, we had something called uh, an auto-incrementing column, which is a primary key or an, or an ID, basically. And what we did was we disabled all data cleanup before doing this. So what happens was if someone deletes a site, um, the data gets put, put into a queue and deleted right away. So I paused that briefly whilst we did the migration. And what I did was I copied all of the data up to a certain ID. And what that meant was that data wasn't going to be modified because the ID that I chose was in the past, right? And I chose, you know, a few days ago, it would have been from the time I was doing it. And I migrated hundreds of millions of rows. So what the logic was that when you then came around to migration day, you would only need to copy a tiny amount of them over because the majority had already been copied. 
And, and the reason it was a bit more fiddly was because we actually transformed a lot of this data. So we extracted things like UTM tags because we're now going to be offering filtering on UTM tags and, and everything else. And uh, yeah, so that was, it was a pretty intense migration. Like I said, I've written about it in detail if you head to our blog. And I suppose, so the migration, migrating of data. Oh yeah, that's the final piece I want to talk about is the actual going live. Um, for the developers listening, you'll follow along. I will be brief because this isn't super technical. I'm always, I'm always reluctant to talk too technical on this podcast because it's not what this podcast is about. But um, the, the too long didn't read is that we had added a column to our page views table and it basically said in underscore single store. And what it meant was when we changed the, the kind of uh, the endpoint front end, if you like, we made it so that it just switched over into where it was inserting into and then, you know, 90% of the data was already in single store. And then we just pumped over the rest of it. And then all future data went to single store. And any data that was in the old database that had to be aggregated was able to be run through. So there wasn't any duplicate data. And I've written about this in the blog post. So do have a look about how I did that. But the main thing was we didn't want any duplicate data coming in. We wanted there to be zero downtime. And that is huge. And everyone's always quite impressed when we sort of talk about that. And it is you know, it's challenging. And the one, the final thing I want to say, again, because I'm avoiding the, the specifics, is no migration plan is ever going to be the same. So you might say to me, oh, you know, how did, how can I do this migration? You know, can I do what you did? There are elements that you can, that can copy, but every migration plan is going to take weeks of, every big migration is going to take weeks of work and the plan is going to vary. So this plan is incredibly is so different from the first ever migration we did the first ever migration we did i look back and i just i can't even imagine doing that the work it was so hard it just the first migration was migrating tons of different S, uh, sql light files into a single database and that was not fun but the point is there's no uh, fixed migration uh, system out there everyone does it differently and that's all i'm going to say i think paul and now that it's done, your your mood has has lightened since that's done <laughs> as yeah. well. Because it was so, I know how much work and how much stress it was, and I know how much you like to be doing application stuff as opposed to working with data. So now that it's done, it feels like a weight has been lifted for you. It, it was it was multiple months, right? And there was nothing yeah. to show for it. And I was researching technologies, and it's funny, you know. I always say this to you, and I think I've said it on record on record before is that things take time and you know a lot of people talk about you know if you're if you're thinking about things you're moving too slow and you've got to move fast you've got to move fast sometimes the the gain we get from taking things slower and actually really thinking things through it outweighs what would have come if we'd have been you know fast and all this nonsense i i'm like kind of i'm mixed on the whole move fast i think you should move at an appropriate speed but people rush into things and then they create more problems for themselves and i don't agree with that yeah, I think that being like move fast and break things, which I think suck came is attributed for saying is it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, we can even segue this into a conversation about like user experience of our application. Mm -hmm. yep. And we don't just put things together and put it out there and just hope that it works. Like we build a version, well, we talk it through probably for every feature for hours, then I'll come up with a rough every draft feature. Yeah, every big feature. I'll kind of come up with a rough draft for how the visuals should look and then mm -hmm. kind of pull it apart. 
And then I go back to the drawing board and I build it up in a different way, in a better way. And then we kind of pull it apart and then we do that until it's done. And then you start seeing, okay, well, how does this work once it's implemented with code and functionality? And then we do the same thing. We go through it and we pull it apart. We look at, okay, what are the edge cases? What are the implications of doing it this way? And it isn't, it isn't fast work, but the end result is the fact that we have something that works. And when we add new features, they don't take away from anything that we built or they don't make it harder or more complicated. They're at equal levels of trying to make it as simple as possible because we want to do all the, Jack and I want to do all the work that we can. So then when the end user has the thing in their hands, the feature in their hands, it's as easy as it can possibly be for somebody to go through and like set up X or do X or change setting Y kind of thing. Yeah, version three is absolutely nuts. And you know, earlier today, I we uh, we briefly looked at a competitor because you know the privacy analytic uh, first analytic space is now expanding. Briefly looked at a competitor. I'm like, why the hell would anyone choose anything other than the Fathom? And I had this this real this huge confusion. And I remembered that version three isn't out yet. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, version yeah. Th- no, but version three is amazing. It's so many. It's so many levels above what we have now. And as we said before, the biggest the biggest thing that we've done wrong is this major release thing. And we've spoken about how we couldn't avoid it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, on the Twitter account, we've said multiple times that we will never be doing a major release again. So once this is out, for customers who are listening, once this is out, we have got, we've got so many exciting ideas for what we want to do, but we're not going to be packaging them up ever again. We're going to work one thing at a time and then we're going to deliver it, get feedback and see what we need to do and then move on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been talking about this for ages and it's going to be a very blissful position to be in because we can just keep delivering and that's going to feel so good. It doesn't mean crown with, you know, crown with nonsense features. It means iterate, improve and, and that kind of thing. It's going to be great. Yeah, refining. There's a lot of refinement. And I think it's funny because like you and I have been looking at what version three looks like for a couple months now. Mm hmm. And nobody's yeah. other than you being the the Mr. Hype and tweeting like the odd <laughs> screenshot here and there. Like people don't like you don't know what you don't know what it looks like. The person. No, it's listening. true. Yeah. Yet. If you're listening to this in like May or June. Yeah, you probably do know what it looks like. But for for right this second, it's something that's coming soon. And, it, and it's and it's it's coming up. So I guess the update on V3 is that we're full steam ahead still mm-hmm. right now. I think. Yep. Almost all of the settings pieces have been done, right? Yeah, the the, the have we talked. We haven't talked about the. Uh, no, we're not going to talk about that. But we've got a, a secret new feature that, that no one's seen before, and it's, we've built it, and it's really good. So I'm excited about it. And it feels good to be done, you know. So with mm-hmm. your custom domains, a cool thing as well. Say, for example, um, a neckbeard has targeted you, and they're an ad block list maintainer. So imagine that. Imagine that Paul's got a custom domain on his site, pgrvs.com. Um, imagine that his he gets an animal generated right as his custom domain so imagine it's platypus.pjrvs.com right so a neckbeard finds that and they add him to a block list that can be done we can't avoid that Mm -hmm. but what you can do is you can generate another custom domain for the same site so at the moment we only allow one custom domain per site and what i mean by that i mean you can use it on multiple sites but i mean you could only have for pjrvs.com, you could only have platypus as mm-hmm. your custom domain. Well, now you can have, I think we I think we have a limit, but the point is if you got blocked on one, you could generate a new one, have it ready in less than five minutes and chuck it back yeah. on your site. 
yeah it's so good you block you can block by ip you can block by country uh we're not going to talk about the other secret feature that i yeah yeah not going to talk about that but there's so much cool stuff and it's built and it's done yeah and now we're kind of we're getting this week where we're working a lot on what the dashboard looks like and how the dashboard functions and all of the things that we're bringing into the dashboard that make it better without making it a lot more complicated which i'm really excited because that's a if you think about people's using fathom they're going to use the settings maybe one percent of the time they're going to set yes. it and it's done whereas the dashboard most of our customers look at their dashboard quite a bit yeah right, right. so that's the that's the screen like that's the that's the meat and potatoes or the vegan meat and potatoes um of the application and we're putting a lot of work yep. <laughs> into that it's changed a lot but yeah. it's all been i mean if you look at how imagine even the goal section how we had it at first versus how it is now mm-hmm. the, the leaps and bounds are huge and it is we are kind of it's annoying because i want to get this shipped it's it's hurting me now I, I need this i need people to have this i know especially <laughs> when i look at our current like the the one that customers see our, our live application and i'm like this is good but you you don't even know no you, i know you think you know and you well, people, don't know people sign up and and people are tweeting about you know love fathom love seeing the, um love how simple it is and i'm reading the tweets and i'm just yeah, i'm thinking that exactly what you just said <laughs> they have no idea know. you have no idea what you're in for <laughs> i think people that know us and have relationships with us you know via support um you know i think of the people that, you know the head and shores the uh, all the people that interact with us i think that they know that it's going to be great and they have trust but Mm-hmm. Oh, some people have no idea. It's just crazy. And we're we're going as fast as makes reasonable sense to get it out to everybody because we don't want to. I don't want to keep talking about it as something that's coming. I want to nope. talk about it as something that's in your hands and being used. Yeah. So no, we're doing very good on version three. Um, we're still aim, still aiming for this month. Uh, nothing's changed there. We're just we're really grinding away on these final final few things and making sure we've got everything right. But lots and lots of progress. Mm-hmm. Um. One thing I'll talk about, you know, I want to talk about scaling. I mean, we've got a few things going on in this podcast already, but different companies having to try to scale things and how it differs between a big company and a smaller company. And so I talked to the single store team today. So they, it's really funny. They obviously they really enjoyed the blog post that I did because it paints them in a good light. And we have no partnership with them beyond them helping us get our database sorted, right? We're a paying customer, Mm -hmm. but they were interested in how we found them, how we decided, you know, that kind of thing. And it's funny because they're a, they're quite a big company. I didn't realize how big of a company they are. And they've recently had a, a big amount of investment. And one of their goals is going to be to try and scale our experience. And it's interesting because the experience we had, we actually spoke to people, right? And it was a very personal, personalized experience. Well, how do you scale that? Imagine you're a big company and you want to scale that personal experience. They might be thinking of things like, you know, can we introduce different content can we do this what are your thoughts on how a big company can scale things in in a cost-efficient way because it's not something i ever think about yeah i mean it in in some regards it's it's a manual scale it's not like you can just turn the dial up and spend more money on ads for that to happen because part of why uh, we like working with them so much and why we ultimately chose them over any of the other competitors was that personal touch Yeah, that exactly. you being able to get on the phone with a salesperson who was super knowledgeable, who connected you to an engineer who's super knowledgeable, who's able to problem solve and work with you on the yeah. schema and all of those things. I mean, it's hiring more people who are as good as the people that you spoke with. 
and think, yeah. ramp ramping up hiring for that i would assume i mean yeah i mean and, and the thing is too like it, it's a very different business model like they obviously have funding and they are of of greater scale than i think we might ever be and so for for things like that it's hard to think about because like i don't know what it looks like to scale personnel or like hr yes yeah and like I have no experience with that, so I, I in theory, is like yeah, you hire more, you hire more amazing, talented people who are very helpful. How that works specifically, I honestly have no idea. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an interesting challenge. No, I've just been thinking about that as well because you, if you lose the personal touch, then you lose that edge. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's you, you build a relationship and you build trust with these people, and it feels good talking to someone who's there to help you. And it felt and I and I said it feels like the Gary Vaynerchuk jab, 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 right hook. I, I know what that sales process looks like, but I like it. I like, if, if I'm sold to that way, I like it. It's like, you're going to invest in this relationship without asking for anything. So that yeah. feels good. I, I like that. So I saw that at work and I do like that. But yeah, I don't know how you'd scale that without doing what you just said, because you'd have to hire um, to do it. Because I mean, in terms of scale, I mean, as a small business, we obviously think about growth, but we we don't we're not looking for you know hyper growth we're not looking for mm-hmm. yeah it's it's way different and yeah big companies face way different challenges so it's, uh, it's interesting to try and think about that yeah and i think it depends on the type of cut the type of customers too like with somebody like us join becoming a customer of theirs there does have to be some hand holding there whereas yes. somebody signing up for say our service there doesn't like that would be that would be a barrier or an obstacle and somebody just wanting like I just need analytics like mm-hmm. I just want to sign up pay and, and that's this is what we've told some enterprise customers too is like look our, our sign up process is literally two steps and governments as governments yeah, seem and, to sign up though when you tell them no they still sign up that's always interesting that's true too yeah uh, and like obviously we're available if you have questions mm-hmm. but it is literally and it, it depends on the business too right like even the the second last car that i bought i thought the sales process was was magnificent from like us walking in there and just being like throwing the keys and being like hey take take the car for the weekend see if you like it <laughs> yeah right and then yeah. buying the car and then like oh it, we're also going to send you and your wife to a racetrack to to learn how to race you're and kidding like, me it was ridiculous like it was every aspect of the sales process and customer that's service ridiculous. process i mean it was porsche too right yeah so like, you expect insane. that but like i felt like it was such a pleasure to be part of a sales process versus like buying some of the other cars that I've bought where it's just like a grind. Like you just feel like you're at war with the salesperson. Um, Cause I've unfortunately bought a lot of vehicles. I have a problem. You are Mr. Cars <laughs> there. Yes. Um, so even like Volkswagen cars uh, where it just feels like a grind and it feels yeah. like this is just something to get through versus a sales process. That's like, Cause I remember you were excited. Like after you talked to single store, you were excited that it was such a pleasant conversation and that it was genuinely helpful. It wasn't just some boilerplate cookie cutter. Like, yeah, I think you should sign up. You're a great fit. It was like, no, no exactly. let's, let's look at all of the criteria that you have. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then see, okay, well, this is why you're a good fit because of these specific things. It's a lesson in sales because you need to actually understand the customer's problem before you try and sell something to them. Mm-hmm. You need to see, you know, and, and that question of, are we a good fit? That's such a good question. Starting off with, we're a good fit. Here's my, you know, 10, 10 slide, slide deck. 
which I'm going to show you why, is crap. Whereas you have this personalized experience. I don't know, man. I mean, if I was trying to scale that, if it was my company and I'm looking to scale this, I would double down on people like Sarong, who was the guy I, I dealt with. Yeah. And I would double down on people like that. And I would position the company in a way where you know, we're proud because we build these personal relationships. Not every customer is going to be paying hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, but there'll be a few that do. And honestly, I think that's what I'd do if it was my company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's even like us when people email us um, on our support or sales channel or whatever, and we tell people like, hey, I don't think, I don't think Fathom's a good fit. And that's okay. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's okay to to evaluate the criteria and be like, this isn't like, you're not going to be happy. So why sign up in the first, let's save everybody some time. And we don't think you're a good fit because of these reasons. Yeah. I've done, I've done that for every, every business that I've ever had is being like, if I don't think you're a good fit, I'm just going to be honest because it's, it's cheaper and less time consuming to just be straight up with people. Yeah, knowing who knowing who you want as a customer, budget hunters too, right? Yeah, budget hunters that don't necessarily value a sustainable service and you know a strong strong team of people. They're not our customers, mm. right? And it's good to know who. It's funny because everyone says who is your customer. It's equally as important to know who your customer isn't, right? So you can say no when you identify them. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a page on our on our our new website that's launching oh, with yeah. E3 that talks about who our customers aren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. You did a good and job there may that. or may not be April Fool style jokes on there too, because whatever, <laughs> that's who we are. Uh, yeah. So yeah, no, I just wanted to wrap up on the scaling thing because it just interests me, you know. Really yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I think I think that that's a good place to to cap it or to end it and uh, thank everybody for listening to the above board podcast from fathom analytics i don't think i could do that voice through a whole episode i don't actually think i want to try to do that voice through a whole episode so next week on on the above board podcast oh what's coming up on the above board podcast who said yes to coming on uh we're gonna have mr rand fishkin from spark toro formerly of moz yeah and then also we've got DHH, co-founder of Basecamp and Hey, and they're both going to come on. And they're going to be very interesting to talk to about different things because they're both very opinionated. So I think we're going to have some very fun conversations with them. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. 